0: A joke is told about a man who went into his kitchen, and he was playing with a knife, and it dropped, and it cut off one of his toes. He took himself to the hospital, and they went in, sent him into surgery. He got out of surgery, and the doctor came in and he said, "I've got bad news, and I've got good news." The bad news is, we mistook a piece of candy for one of you for your toe. The good news is, you now have a tic-tac-toe. Bad news and good news. Bad news and good news. I want you to think about that with me. You know, there are so many jokes that start with, I've got good news and I've got bad news. But there are a lot of situations in our lives that start with exactly the same. I've got bad news, but I've also got good news. Tonight, I've come with bad news and I've come with good news. And I want you to see it with me in the amount of time that we have together. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you're not already there, to the book of Isaiah. And specifically tonight, we are going to be examining Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Mike uh, contacted me earlier in the week and he said, Hey Adam, would you mind being a part or would you like to be a part of this series that I'm doing? The series that people, uh, members of the congregation have uh, submitted their favorite verses. And I've got uh, The Great Invitation and I've got Isaiah chapter 40. And I said, if you don't mind, I'll take Isaiah chapter 40. He gave me the choice. Uh, I never would have done what he did with Isaiah with Matthew chapter 11 this morning. He's the master. But I want you to think with me tonight about this in Isaiah chapter 40 and what exactly we find going on in the book of Isaiah. Tonight I want to begin with the bad news. And the book of Isaiah really breaks itself down into bad news followed by good news. The bad news is found in chapters 1 through 35. Judgment is coming. Now, I just want to paint this picture. I want to kind of start with this uh, really zoomed out view of the book of Isaiah. And then I want to come in and look a little closer just at chapter 40. And then I want to zoom in closest before we're done tonight, right on the end of chapter 40 and some of those verses that Ryder read for us just a moment ago. So here's kind of an expanded view just of the book of Isaiah for just a moment. I want you just to consider with me that in the first 35 verses of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah, God through Isaiah is pronouncing judgment upon His people. Now, Isaiah is down near the city of Jerusalem. He's down in the southern kingdom of Judah. But at this very time, the nation of Assyria is on the march. And they are going to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel in Isaiah's lifetime. He doesn't live up there, but he knows that that what's happening up there is happening. And he also knows the threat is that they're not going to stop when they get the northern kingdom. That they're going to continue to march to the city of Jerusalem and they're going to overtake the city of Jerusalem. There is great fear that that's exactly what's going to take place. And so there's bad news that's being delivered by Isaiah that Assyria is on the march and God is going to pronounce judgment on His people. The picture really is pretty bleak. But I want you to just examine with me a few verses that tell us how bad it really is. If you open your Bibles, go all the way back to chapter 1 in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm not going to put these verses on the screen, but just think with me about what the situation looks like. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 10. The Bible says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, long since destroyed. right? It's just imagery. It gives us an image of what's going on in the people of God in that day. You are behaving as if you are Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did God do to Sodom and Gomorrah? He judged them. He destroyed them. And Isaiah says to the people in his day, you are behaving the same way as Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. And people are bowing down to the idols that they have made. I'm just asking the question, why is judgment on its way? Why is God unhappy with the situation among His people? Well, they're not behaving properly. They're putting idols in front of Him. In chapter 5, here's a picture of God's people. In verse number 20, "...woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight." Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink. Who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from a righteous man. You are starting to get a picture of what it's like to live in Isaiah's day? You are starting to get a picture in your mind of what it looks like among God's people and how they're behaving themselves? It looks like Sodom and Gomorrah. It looks like a land full of idols. It looks like a land where people are calling what is evil good... And those who are standing up for good are being called evil. They've got it all reversed. They're long and intoxicating drink. And they're taking away righteous judgment. In chapter 9, in verse 17, the people are called hypocrites. All right, You're all behaving as, uh, as if you are hypocrites. Over in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2... The prophet speaks about the oppression of the poor, the oppression of those who are downtrodden, taking advantage of widows and orphans. They don't care about justice. They don't care about what's right. They don't know what's right. They're not behaving as if they know what's right. And these aren't people in the world. These are God's people. And that's what we're talking about. That's what we're dealing with in Isaiah's day. And that's why judgment is being pronounced. That's why God, through Isaiah, is pronouncing bad news. Now, I don't want you to leave this section of Isaiah and say, well, it's just all bad news. No, it's not. There is some good news that's mixed in. For example, in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Isaiah is going to look into the future and talk about the kingdom that's going to be established in the latter days. He talks about the word of God going forth from the city of Jerusalem. He is looking ahead to the days of the Messiah and the kingdom that was going to be established. It's not all bad news. In Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1, Isaiah sees God in a vision high and lifted up, sitting on His throne, and the train of His robe filling up the entire temple, and the whole earth being filled with the glory of God. It's not all bad news. There's some good news sprinkled in. But by and large, these first 35 chapters of the book of Isaiah, the picture is pretty bleak. It doesn't look good. Go on with me. In chapters 36 through 39, we're just doing a very quick survey of the book of Isaiah. In chapters 36 through 39, we just get a bit of historical information. There's just a pause here that seems to tell us what's going on. And what we find is that Assyria stops. They get, in fact, to the city of Jerusalem, but God stops them at the door. They don't actually get in. God takes care of it Himself. In Isaiah chapter 37... The Bible says, beginning in verse number 33, Therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor build a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And he shall not come into this city, says the Lord, for I, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Continue in verse 36. Then the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. In the next verse, he's going to die. God destroyed the Assyrian army by himself. His people didn't have to fight. He fought the fight for them. He killed 185,000 in one night and they tucked tail and they went home. Assyria was no longer a threat to the southern kingdom of Judah. However, in the next chapters, God foretells a time when there would be a threat against the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah. He's going to talk about this little nation at this time in Isaiah's day, a little blip on the radar. It wasn't any nation to be concerned with. It certainly was not any kind of world power. Nobody really knew about Babylon. They didn't know exactly what they would become, they were not seen as a threat. So these, uh, these people, you know, from that little nation, they, they come over and they see King Hezekiah. And they say, you know, Hezekiah, we'd like to see what's going on over here in your land. We'd like to see what's going on in your house. And Hezekiah, they're not a threat. He says, come on in. I'll show you everything. I'll show you my house. I'll show you my treasures. I'll show you everything I've got. Hmm. Well, that little nation of Babylon wasn't going to stay a little nation. That little nation of Babylon was going to become quite a, a world power And in fact, that little nation was going to come over over a hundred years later and they were going to take God's people captive. Hezekiah, Isaiah asked the question, what have they seen in your house? And he says, I've showed them everything. That's chapter 39, verse number three, when Isaiah goes to uh, King Hezekiah and said, what did they say? And, uh, you know, what's going on here? And in verse number 5, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Why do I believe the Bible to be God's word? I'll give you one of the reasons. There are many. One of them, prophecy made and prophecy fulfilled. This nation of Babylon was nothing in the days of Hezekiah. Hezekiah did not see them as a threat. He allowed them to come in. He showed them everything that he had because he saw them as no threat at all. But over a hundred years later, God says, they're coming and they're going to take everything you've got. And what happened? Exactly what God said would happen. This is God's book. It's not mine. Man didn't write this book. God did. But that's what we find taking place. So he looks backwards, and then in chapters 38 and 39, he looks forward. Assyria, you're not getting in, but Babylon in the future is going to come in. It's bad news up to chapter 39. By and large, it's bad news. But, you've got a tic-tac-toe. There's good news. There's good news. And the good news is going to take place in chapters 40 through 66. I'm not saying that there's not bad news sprinkled in these chapters 40 through 66. But by and large in Isaiah chapters 40 through 66, you've got a message of hope and comfort. That's a big view of Isaiah. Now let's come in a little closer. For a moment, let's look just at chapter 40. And think about it with me. Maybe it's been a few days, like it was for me, since you looked at Isaiah chapter 40. I want you to think about it with me. Because the picture that is painted of God in Isaiah chapter 40 is one that you and I would do well to study. A God of comfort and a God of hope. Babylon is going to come and they're going to destroy my people one day, but... I don't want you ever to forget or question who I am. That's as if what God is saying beginning in chapter 40 of the great book of Isaiah. You want to sum up chapter 40? You want to sum up all the book of Isaiah? You want to sum up all of Scripture? Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings... Get up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, you who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Genesis 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God. It's been bad news, by and large, up to this point. And now the script is about to flip here in chapter 40... And God is reminding His people, I know that the picture looks a little bleak. I know you're going through tough times. I know you brought a lot of this on yourself. But maybe there are a lot of you who didn't bring this on yourself. Maybe you're just suffering the consequences of other people's decisions. Have you done that before? So have I. I can bring a lot of this on myself. But I also can suffer because of the choices that other people make. God says, I don't want you ever to lose who I am. Behold your God. Judah, go up on the high mountain and lift up your strength. Get a, get a bullhorn and shout it from the mountaintop. Behold your God. Get a picture of God in your mind. And bad news can go to good. And that's what we're talking about. Bad news can go to good when you can get a picture of God. Just in Isaiah chapter 40, here's a quick view of what we get as a picture of God. Going back to verse number 1. He has just told Hezekiah that those people are going to come and take out your people. And the very next verse, chapter 40 and verse 1, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double For all her sins. Remember uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Does it come to mind? Comfort, yes, comfort all of my people. Who is God? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul says, He is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who do I need in my life when things look bleak? Who can I look to when things uh, around me seem to be all discouragement? Who can I look to when I'm feeling down and downtrodden in my life? The God of all comfort. He says, I'm with you. This is the picture of God. Behold your God. Get this picture in your mind. Look at chapter 40 and verse 18. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare to him? Verse 25, to whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? There is no one equal to God. And that's what he's saying. I know the picture looks a little bleak. I know that you've received some bad news, but I have great news. I haven't gone anywhere. This is who I am. I am your God with no equal. I love Isaiah chapter 40. This is a great picture of God that we get in this then uh, this one chapter that Isaiah points out look at a god of creation in verse number 12 the question is asked who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance look at verse 21 have you not known have you not heard has it not been told you from the beginning Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Who sits above the circle of the earth? I don't. You don't. God does. Behold your God, the God of creation. Verse 26 says, Lift up your eyes on high and see... Who has created these things? Who brings out their host by number? He calls them all by name. By, his, by the greatness of His might and the strength of His power, not one is missing. Are you getting a picture of God in your mind? That's what Isaiah is painting for us. A portrait of God. He says, I don't want you to miss it. This beautiful West Texas sky, where you and I are privileged to live and we can look up into the sky and we can look up at the stars. You know, we need to stop looking up at the stars to uh, find direction. You know, which way should I go? We need to stop looking up to the stars and try to figure out what the stars might be telling us. We need to stop looking up at the stars and just searching out various uh, constellations. But what he's saying is, you need to look up at the stars and think beyond the stars to the One who made the stars. You didn't do it. And neither did I. Look and think about the one who made the stars. He is the God of creation. Don't worship the stars. Worship the one who made the stars. That's what he's talking about in verse 26. But Then, my friends, you get to verse number 27. The very next verse, verse number 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord... And my just claim is passed over by my God. Does that verse resonate with you? You say, well, maybe it doesn't resonate with me as I sit here tonight, but that verse resonates with me at a very different time in my life. You know, Isaiah has spent so much time up to this point. We didn't look at every verse. We could have. But what he's doing is saying, behold your God. I want you to get a picture of who God is He is the God of comfort. He is the God with whom there is no equal. He is a God who created everything around us. But there are times in our lives where we're tempted to say, like these people God, are you really there? God, do you really see what's going on in my life? God, are you really hearing my cries? Do you really understand the pain that I find myself in? Do you see the situation I'm in? Do you see where my marriage is? Do you see the problem I'm having in the family? Do you see the problem I've got at work? Do you see the problems I've got with neighbors and friends? My health? My parents' health? My friends' health? Do you see all the issues that I've got going on? Are you there and are you listening? The people of God have seen the army come down. They've seen them return. They've been told that another army is going to come. And there's a remnant asking God, are you there? Are you still there? Are you really paying attention? Do you really know? In an honest moment, perhaps we can all say, yeah, I can relate to that. I've had those moments in my life. And perhaps it is true tonight that there's someone sitting here who's saying, Yeah, I get it. I've had that moment. In fact, I'm going through that moment right now. That's verse 27. Now, before we land this plane, I want to get to verse 28. And I want you to see what the prophet responds with. To those who are asking God, perhaps, where are you? Have you left me? Are you still there? I want to ask the question on the screen, who is God? Now, he's already painted this picture, but now he really condenses things into this little package of God in these remaining few verses of Isaiah chapter 40 and ask the question, who is God? And there are five things that the prophet says here about God. Number one, He is eternal. Do you see that beginning in verse number 28? Have you not known... Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the eternal God? I'm going to ask a second question in a moment. And so I really want you to get this. All right, this is important. This picture of God is extremely important for you to get because there's a follow-up question that's coming. And so I want you really to think with me about what he says about God. Number one, he says God is eternal. I think about the words of Jesus. There's so many verses we could look at. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, where Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. What's he saying? I'm eternal. I've always existed, and I will always exist. That is the picture that Isaiah gives us of God. Asking the question, God, are you still there? Are you paying attention? Do you know what's going on in my life? I am the eternal one. I am here. I'm always here. Wherever here is, I'm there. Because I have always existed and I always will exist. Isaiah circles back around to this mighty point. I am the creator. Alright? I am the everlasting God... Verse 28, I am the creator of the ends of the earth. I am the creator of the ends of the earth. Humor me for a moment. Go over to chapter 45 in the book of Isaiah. Look there at verse number 12. Notice what God says. It's very short and simple. God says, I have made the earth and created man on it. I, my hands, stretched out the heavens and all their host. I have commanded. I have. I, I. Who did it? God did. God says, I did all of that. You didn't do that. I did all of that. Number three. In verse number 28, Isaiah says of God, He neither faints nor is weary. He neither faints nor is weary. Do you know what it's like to never get tired? You say, I'm exhausted right now. I'm sitting here exhausted right now. I know exactly what it means to get tired. You know, God doesn't. He doesn't have a clue what that feels like. Can you imagine a God who says, I never get tired. I never get tired. Nothing ever, ever wears me out. Hey God, are you there? Are you listening? Do you know what I'm going through? God says, I'm with you. I never get tired. I'm with you all the time. I never have to slumber. I never have to sleep. The words of the psalmist in Psalm 121 in verse 4. He never slumbers. He never sleeps. A God who never, ever gets tired. Isaiah, tell me more about this God. I'll tell you, this God is one who knows everything. In fact, he says his understanding is unsearchable. He knows everything. You know, we look there at... uh, Chapter 39 and verse 7. And remember, the prophet tells Hezekiah that there was coming a time when these people from Babylon were going to carry God's people over there. And chapter 39 and verse 7 says, they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You know who one of those was in the palace of the king of Babylon? Daniel. That's foreshadowing. It's telling us about Daniel. One who would be in that palace ...of the king of Babylon. And the king of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. And old Nebuchadnezzar had a dream one time... ...and he didn't have any way to interpret it. And so Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2... ...is brought into the palace of the king of Babylon... ...into Nebuchadnezzar's presence... ...and Nebuchadnezzar says, Hey Daniel, tell me my dream and its interpretation. (laughs) What? I'm going to tell you what you dreamed... ...and then I'm going to have to tell you what that dream meant? Yeah, that's what I want you to do. Well... He did, didn't he? Because God revealed even the deep secrets. And that's what Daniel says about God in Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. There's nothing that God doesn't know. God, are You really there? God, I'm in a moment of despair. I've got all of these trials going on in my life. I've got all these struggles that I'm having to endure. The burdens are heavy on my shoulders. I don't know what to do. Are You going to help me? Will You be there? Are You listening? I know everything. I know everything. There is nothing that You're going through that I don't know about. I know everything. And that's what God is saying. I know everything that you are going through. Isaiah, give me one more. Isaiah chapter 29 or chapter 40 verse 29. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. A God who is all powerful, willing to supply strength. He is a God who does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can comprehend, that we can think or ask according to His power. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3. That's the picture that Isaiah gives... And so we ask the question, who is God? I asked you to think with that about me, All right. You see that list on the the screen? You've thought about it. You've written it down perhaps. You think about, okay, this is the picture that Isaiah paints. I've taken it right off the page of verses 28 and 29. Here is God. Here's the picture of God. Eternal, Creator, never gets tired, knows everything. All-powerful and able to supply strength. That's who God is. Ask the second question, who is man? is man once I get a picture of who God is and I get that right and once I get this screen right things will begin to be good news bad news can go to good news when I get this right I ask you the question in verse number 30 what does Isaiah say about man Isaiah says, even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. What do we know about us as human beings? Number one, we get tired. Even youths grow faint and weary. I challenge you, or I invite you, perhaps, not a challenge, but I invite you, in a few minutes when we're dismissed and go outside, just stand on the concrete... And watch our youth. Just watch them. Some of them you can watch even in here. And, uh, and you will see their energy, right? And we say as we watch the young people, oh, if I only had this much of that energy, right? We say things like that all the time. If I just had this much of their energy. And they'll just be flying and chasing and running all over that churchyard in just a few minutes. They love to run. They've got all this pent-up energy, and it has to come out. But you know what will happen? They'll sleep tonight. They'll sleep tonight. We hope, right? We hope they'll sleep tonight. But they will. At some point, they'll go to sleep because they get weary. They get tired. The energy runs out. They'll, They'll get it back quicker than we will. They'll use it up quicker than we will, but it will wear out. Even youths grow weary We all get tired. Our bodies are designed that way. We all need sleep. And we're all going to get tired. And we're all mortal. That's what that verse says. And the young men shall utterly fall. Eventually, we're all going to fall. Eventually, death will catch up. It catches up, uh, unfortunately, even to the young. At times, we're all mortal. We're all mortal. And so, when you take this previous screen and you think about who God is and you get that right, and then you go to the next and you see who man is, if you put your trust in you, you will fail. You put your trust in you, you will fail. I'm glad that somebody wrote on a note card, Isaiah 40, verse 31. Because in two minutes, it's what we find in this very comforting verse. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. Those who are expectantly enduring. Endurance with confident expectation. It's said of the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10. They were waiting for the Son of God from heaven. They were eagerly anticipating the return of Christ. That's what the verse means. That's what they're saying. Those who wait on the Lord, those who because of who God is, place their confidence in Him and not in themselves will excel. You wait on the Lord. You put your confidence and trust in Him. That's what that verse is talking about. They shall renew their strength. It shall be fresh again. It shall be like the little child waking up to take off the next morning. Refreshed and renewed. God says in me and putting your trust in me, your strength can be renewed. And you shall mount up. You shall mount up. I suppose it doesn't need a definition. I just want you to think with me that that is an upward motion. God, I found myself here. Deep despair. And I'm looking for a way up. I'm looking for an upward maneuver. And God says, you find it in me. Don't you trust in yourself? Don't you try to do this alone? You have me. And I will help you upward. I titled the sermon, Blessings of Trusting in God. This is it. This is what it all comes down to. Bad news becomes good news when I trust in God. God says you can have renewed strength. I think about NASCAR. I've never been a NASCAR fan. <laughs> it's just a bunch of left-hand turns. I, I just, I've had trouble getting into it, right? Just going around a track. But sometimes life feels like you're just taking left-hand turns all day, all right? I'm not knocking those who do like it. I'm just saying it's not my cup of tea. But sometimes life just feels like you're going around the track and all you're doing is making left-hand turns. And eventually, you make enough left-hand turns and your tires begin to wear out. What do you have to do? Exit onto pit row. Now, pit row, that's pretty amazing. With those guys and what they can do, jack up the car so fast and they yank off the old tires and they throw on the new tires and you're off again. And what are you? Fresh. Fresh. God says, I can do that for you. I can renew your strength. You're down, I can pick you up. I can mount, you can mount up with wings like eagles. There's a lot that I could say about eagles. I don't know much, but I can tell you that eagles don't spend a lot of time flapping their own wings. Little birds flap their own wings, right? They've got to get up and they've got to try to fight the wind and they can't go very high. And so they spend all their energy flapping their little wings. Eagles don't do that. Eagles let the wind, the current, take care of it. All they do is open those giant wings and they let the current take them and lift them. And I am told that eagles can fly up to 10,000, 20,000 feet in the air. And they can stay up there for hours because they don't expend a lot of energy. They can soar to great heights. And God says, I know you've been down, but I can help you soar. You put your confidence and your trust in me, and I will take care of it. I can help you to run and not be weary. I can help you to not run out of breath and go a long distance. And friend, the Bible often paints life as a walk, the walk of life. And God says, I want to help you in your walk. I want to be with you as you go through life. I want to be the one who sustains you and the one who helps you to get through this life. If you're still open to Isaiah, look at chapter 41 and verse number 10. The last verse I want you to see with me is this one. Isaiah 41 and verse 10. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteousness. Right hand. Don't be dismayed. It's me. I will help you. Tonight I just want to ask the question, where is your trust? I'm so glad that somebody put that verse down and we could look at it together. It's no wonder that it would be someone's favorite verse. Tough times and tough circumstances of life, they come. Choices of self and choices of others can cause us heartache. But what a comfort it is to know that we have a God who supplies what we need and desires us to simply put our trust in Him. Tonight, where is your trust? Are you really trying to go it alone? Are you really trying to figure it out by yourself? Are you really trying to find all your strength in you? You know what you are? You're just mortal. You're just going to get weak. You're just going to break down. That's not who God is. And our trust needs to be in Him. Tonight, if we can help you... You know, one of the great ways that God supplies strength is through His people. And tonight, if you're downtrodden, you find yourself in a difficult situation... I tell you, one of the ways you can find yourself back up... is in the arms of God's people. Tonight, if you have a need in your life and you need to make it known... the Lord's invitation is extended. It's a wonderful time for you to make that known and let us pray with you and for you. But tonight, my friend, if you're trusting in yourself to get home, you're trusting in someone who can't get home by themselves. You need Jesus. And tonight, God has supplied everything we need in His Son. Tonight, will you come to Him in faith, repentance, and baptism, confessing your faith in Him as the Son of God. Tonight, will you come to Jesus and be found right... In the eyes of God, put your trust in Him, and He'll always come through. Tonight, if we can help you in any way, please come while together we stand and while we sing.